it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 277. Today, we're going to talk about moats, and we're going to talk about how you can identify a moat, and we're going to use our friend Apple as an example. Warren Buffett talks a lot about moats and the power of them, and it's a great analysis tool, easy for me to say, to figure out what a strong company is. It really helps you understand where the power of the business comes from. So, Andrew has a great email that he wrote a while back about this very idea. And so let's talk about the mode of Apple. So what are the, I guess, first of all, what's a mode? I guess yeah. that's probably the first place you start. Yeah, for sure. That's perfect. So a moat in its most traditional sense is back in the day when you had a castle and you had people come attack it, you would want to protect your family. So you would draw basically a trench and then fill it up with um, a bunch of water and that would be your moat and that keeps a bunch of enemies from getting too close to your castle too quickly. In capitalism, it's a very similar thing with businesses. If I'm a lemonade stand and I see what the lemonade stand down the street's doing, I'm just going to copy them and maybe undercut their price by a penny and then everybody's going to come to me instead of that person. And that's just the reality of capitalism. So businesses need something better than you know a one-trick pony in order to succeed for a long time in the business world. So when you're looking for stocks that you want to hold for a long time, you want to find these kind of moats that keep their competitors from just blindly copying them and stealing all of the profits. And that's why as an investor, it's important because you want to buy a business, hold it for a long time. For the business to survive for a long time, it needs to have a good moat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I guess what are the components of a moat? How do we, I guess maybe a better way of putting it, how do we start to identify it? Like maybe we could start working, you know, so we think Apple has a moat. How can we identify it? What are some of the things that we can start looking for to start to kind of identify whether Apple or Microsoft or PayPal has a moat? Yeah, what's interesting is every business can have its own different moat, its own thing that makes it special. To use the Apple example, one 
way we can identify that they have a moat is their premium pricing. So when you look at Apple versus the other phone makers that produce similar like technological type of phones, at least in the United States, Apple charges a much higher premium price, even though a lot of the features are similar. And so when you see a situation like that, you're like, why is this company able to charge more than its competitors? When on the surface, this looks like a very similar product. When you see that premium pricing, that could be a good indication of a moat. I think of somebody like Nike too. People will outfit themselves, Nike shoes, Nike gym bag, Nike shirt, Nike hat, and you're paying more than like an Under Armour product. Why is that? And so that's where when you start to notice those things, you can see, all right, is there a moat there? Is there a reason why these prices, why they can demand a higher price? And then you kind of look into it. So that's where I would start with Apple is like, okay, there is some pricing power here. Yeah, there certainly is. How would you perceive the pricing power? Why do you think they have that? So this is really on the demand side of because you have supply of demand. This is really on the demand side of consumers are willing to pay more mm-hmm. is that a source of a moat and you know that would be the question to ask so it's like the first question is why do they have that pricing power i think they have that pricing power because they've created a product that people like and want to have it's also a bit of a status symbol as well you know there's a lot of people that you know insist on having the, you know the blue text boxes, you know, that it has an allure to it as well. And the products are awesome and they continue to be awesome. And, you know, every iteration is a little bit better than before. And it also, I think, becomes a bit of a status symbol. It becomes a sign of I'm hip, if you will. But it also, I think, because of the quality of what they put out consistently, you feel like you're getting a value when you buy it. And so even though it is, the prices do keep going up, you know, $1,000 for a phone is a lot of money, but people will gladly hand that over because they want that phone. They've created the demand for the phones and there's, people want them. And so they're willing to pay any price or near any price to get the phone. They haven't reached that ceiling where people are like, you know, where they start looking for alternatives and they haven't reached that point yet. And so because they keep, raising the prices on every couple years, they're raising the prices. That indicates to me that they have pricing power. And that's a very, very huge indication of a company with a moat because companies that don't have that those, that pricing power, they can't do that. This one's admittedly pretty hard to quantify. We can't just say, yeah, there's specific numbers here that show mm-hmm. you know, that this is where this comes from or anything. It's very unscientific. But you look at the way that there's a attention to detail with every little thing that you can think of. Like when you bought, when you got the AirPods for the first time Mm -hmm. and saw like how easy that was to use, where if you try to hook up a Bluetooth with something else, it's you usually have to click a few things, but Apple's gone through the hassle of making it really that simple and that easy. And that's really something they've done ever since Steve Jobs was really involved with the company. Mm-hmm. How can we make this so simple, so easy, and make people's lives so much better? So to your point, like it's just a better product in a lot of ways. And people see the value in that. And so they pay up for the better convenience, the better user experience, mm-hmm. the better product. And with the ecosystem now, it may, I feel like it makes it even harder between the watches and the AirPods and all of that too. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, 
I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Right, exactly. Well, and I think that really leads to the next idea that when you're trying to identify a mode is this idea of a network effect or a user stickiness. And I think you just kind of alluded to that. So do you want, do we want to kind of pull that thread a little bit? Yeah, I'll talk about stickiness since I was kind of zooming in on that. And then you can look at maybe explaining the network effect. But the, the stickiness is, again, when we have uh, something that we've ingrained in our lives, a lot of us are creatures of habit. And so sometimes the switching costs of going through the hassle of changing, disrupting your life, sometimes if there's not a big reason to, we'll just kind of stick with the status quo. So banks are a great example of this, where we talked several times of people have bank accounts longer than they have some relationships or marriages. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's a big hassle to go change your bank account. What's the benefit to doing that if you're getting just as good of service here as you would somewhere else? So, you know, companies can kind of abuse that and get away with a lot of poor customer experience mm -hmm. just because they have high switching costs. And so even though you might not like that bank that you're with, they annoy you with all their little mailer papers that come in your address mm -hmm. every week, you might not be annoyed enough to go through the hassle of switching and that's stickiness um, and switching costs. 
So that can be a moat in itself. And switching costs can come from so many different things. Like banks would be one example where it's just a big hassle to uproot your life. I look at like to go back to the Apple example, if you're a big user in their, let's say, iCloud or, you know, their photos, all your contacts are on there. Is it really worth switching all of that to save a hundred bucks, which ends up being like five bucks a month on a payment plan? So with uh, IT, there's another example of like when your entire company's infrastructure is built a certain way. It can take thousands of man hours to switch it out, right? And so that there's switching costs there too. Could go across the map with how these switching costs work, but every company has, if they have switching costs, they probably have a, a unique reason why they do. And Apple certainly does. Yeah, they certainly do. It's uh, they're very sticky, <laughs> very very sticky. So network effect kind of comes into play with the the stickiness in that the more the people are on the network the more powerful the network gets because the more people interact with the network, the more you want to be in the network to take advantage of what your friends are doing, what your family's doing, what other people are doing. And it also creates this idea of these different products that pull you into the network and make you engage with the network. And all those things just kind of build upon themselves. And the network effect is one of those things that helps continue to build the brand because the more people want to watch Apple TV and talk about Ted Lasso, for example, that creates a network effect because then other people want to go watch that show. And you subscribe to Apple TV and you watch it on your phone or your Apple TV, you listen to it on your headphones. All those things just create more of an effect for you to be in the ecosystem for Apple. And that's really one of the things that they've done a fantastic job of building out this kind of whole network of things that you can use, you know, Apple podcasts, iTunes, you know, there's just so many different things that kind of build upon itself and it becomes this network that you really want to be involved in. And there's a lot of companies out there that really have taken advantage of this. Visa is one that always kind of springs to mind when I think of network effect because they have what's called a two-sided network effect where the customer as well as the merchant are all taking advantage of Visa's brand power. And the more people that have a Visa card in their wallet, they're going to want to go use that Visa card to spend. And the merchant wants to have that money. And so if they don't accept Visa, then they can't take that customer's money. And so it just becomes this network effect and it builds upon itself. And that's one of the things that Apple has done a fantastic job of. And as they build out more of these services and ancillary kinds of products and stuff that just builds on the network effect and the ecosystem that we all live in. And anybody that's in the Apple ecosystem, that's just part of the network effect. And Samsung has the same idea. And so that's just part of the ecosystem. And to Andrew's point, to switch from Apple to Samsung would be a headache. And especially if you're involved in all these services and then you go to Samsung, you don't have the same access to those things. And if your family's not there, your friends aren't there, then it just becomes this you know, it, it becomes a stickiness to stay a network effect to stay with the Apple products. And that's for me, that's one another reason why they it appears they have a moat that kind of allows them to be successful. Yeah, is it worth getting kicked out of family group chats? You nope. make that decision. <laughs> Bad decision. Bad life choice. <laughs> so well, we got two left. So let's let's run through these. The third one, economies of scale and low cost producer. Economies of scale is something where, you know, the bigger a business is, the 
the cheaper it is to um, for them to manufacture something. So you know, if I'm trying to make a thousand toilet, if I'm trying to manufacture a thousand toilet rolls, it's going to be cheaper on a per toilet roll basis if I buy a thousand than if I try to just buy one. Not to mention that no one will probably custom make me a toilet roll. <laughs> so in the same token, when Apple is, for example, they design their own chips that go in the iPhone. So because they order such a huge batch of chips from TSMC, they're able to get a better deal on those chips than a smaller cell phone maker might have. So to compete against Samsung or Apple as a new cell phone startup, that's really tough today because of the network effect and also economies of scale. And and they've also become a low-cost producer. Part of that's because of economies of scale, but also because in a way, this kind of sounds a little maybe out there, but in a way, a lot of the developers that work on the apps that go in the app store and that go on the Android store, a lot of those were using them on our iPhones and almost like buying a better iPhone because there are better apps out there to use. And so in a way, it's like these developers are advancing the product in a very low cost way. So that can be a competitive advantage if you have a good ecosystem of developers that are used to developing stuff on your app store. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's perfect. The perfect example for me always of economies of scale is Walmart. You think about the pieing power that they have. That's that's one of the ways that they can sell everything so cheap is because they can go out and buy so much and they'll move it. They can get low prices. Costco does the same thing. And then they pass those savings on to the customers and that's kind of their business model. And so whenever I think of economies of scale, that's always what I think of. But Apple certainly has economies of scale, like you were saying. So that's a great example. All right, so let's move on to the last one. So we have proprietary technology and its protection. So how with with Apple, how does that play? So now I'm starting to drift in the fanboy territory. And, <laughs> you know, longtime listeners know I own this stock. I'm a big fan of Apple as a stock, and I just wish I bought it a long time ago. They are on the leading edge of designing the technology that goes on inside of the iPhone. And so they actually, you know, a lot of other... Let's take, I don't want to pick on a technology company, but let's pick on someone like Dell or something. They're not in there designing the chips that go inside their computers. They're buying chips from other people who are designing the chips and then putting those on their computers. Apple's designing it all in-house. So that gives them a lot of different advantages in that they can make these things super custom to exactly what they want to do. And it's a trend that we're seeing in the semiconductor industry, not to get too into the weeds of instead of everything being about scale and cost, designing the software to interface with the hardware. And I know that sounds kind of techy, but the best way I could describe it is if, if you look at the newest iPhones and they have the screen that at the top of the screen, you have the little bar that's on the top and then the screen itself kind of goes around it. Now I'm realizing we're in a podcast. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're like, what is he visualizing? This idea that you can wrap the display around a piece of hardware and everything still works fine, that's an example of being able to manipulate your hardware in order to make a better user experience. And that's hard for other companies to replicate if they can't design their own chips or have the technological know-how to be able to basically integrate hardware with software and make these things that are kind of unique and just make Apple more like Apple. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think that's one of the probably the more under the radar, if you will, uh, aspects of their moat 
is the technology that they've created and are creating to build the brand that they've built. I mean, the simplicity of the phone itself to me is one of the things that makes it so amazing. It's so easy that a five-year-old can use it and it's easy enough that a five-year-old can use it. So it's it's one of those things. And if you look under the hood, so to speak, of what you're talking about, that kind of stuff, I think really is one of the things that does set them apart. And it's also going to give them a lot of optionality to be able to do different things. And, you know, as Andrew was saying, custom, custom build certain products for a certain sector of people. And that's going to give them a lot of ability to continue to innovate going forward. And that's kind of an unsung aspect of the mode of the company for sure. A lot of the things that you say make the easy user experience. We don't realize how there's a moat and like a technology behind it because to us, it's just, oh, that was easy. Mm -hmm. But actually behind that could be a patent that Samsung can't replicate and so they can never make it as easy as Apple did in this instance, that instance. And that's all unique to all of us because there's so many apps and so many Mm -hmm. use cases basically. Right. So my question for you would be, you know, it sounds great and we fanboy about a company for a whole, an entire episode. So the question becomes, do you buy the stock? When do you buy a stock like this? Do you just always buy a stock like this? Like, how do you think of that? For me, it's always part of the equation of trying to determine whether I buy or not. It all comes back to the price that you're paying because it's that still matters. You know, the greatest company in the history of the world, whichever one you want to insert company A there, you still have to buy it at a price that makes sense. And if you don't, then it doesn't matter how great the mode is. You won't get the return that you could have if you had bought it at a better price. And it all goes back to you don't have to swing at every pitch. You're going to come across companies that may be the most fantastic companies in the world that just for the moment, for whatever reason, they're just not at the right price for you to buy to get a good return. It doesn't mean that it's not a great company. It doesn't mean it doesn't have a huge moat. It just means that it's you know too expensive at this particular time. I guess, what about you? Yeah, that's 100%. That's 100% correct. I feel like it's so easy and that's kind of what makes investing fun is you can get really excited about some of these companies and your potential returns, but you do have to counterbalance it with some cold hard facts, right? The cold, the harsh truth, some numbers to to ground you. And that's where learning how to do evaluation and, and the basics of how that works can really help you in that regard. Because to your point, we've seen too many companies, I don't even want to list them all, too many stocks where... They were fantastic companies. They had great moats. They were terrible stocks to own because the share prices were too high when the investors bought them. So I won't comment on the current price of any stock right now. That's what the e-leather is for. But I will say, yes, the moat is a big part, but also so is the valuation. Yep, I totally agree. All right. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation on moats and how you can go at, how you can start to go about assessing those. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about today, please check out our website, einvestingforbeginners.com. We have articles there concerning moats, pricing power, and competitive advantages. So those could be some good resources for you to learn a little more in depth about what we are talking about today and taking those ideas and trying to discover moats or determine whether the company you're looking at has a moat or doesn't have a moat. And that can be very helpful as you try to learn more about stock market and find great companies to invest in. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way. 
with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.